Kate, mm-hmm. what are you drinking? I am drinking something called a Clover Club, which is a cocktail that originated in Philadelphia mm-hmm. and is named after a club that was popular in the 20s, I believe. And I am drinking the Philadelphia Brewing Company's Black Cat Lager, which weirdly enough, I saw this beer a lot growing up in Kansas City. Hmm. It looks a lot like, I'll have to show you my computer, we're recording obviously right now, but it looks a lot like, you know how they have like the black cats on the firework stands? Like there's like black cat fireworks yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks just like that. Yeah. I'd For recommend reference- it. He poured it into a glass, and so the can is in the trash. Yeah, yeah. Can't see. I'm not. I know I have it pulled up. It's because all the logos look so familiar. So when I picked it out, I was like, why have I I've seen this before? Why are we talking about Philadelphia? We are talking about Philadelphia because today we are watching... Shit. Give me a second. I have IMDb up already. I can pull it no, up. No, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> today we are watching 1981's... Blowout. Blowout. <laughs> oh, God. A good Zapruder Antonioni satire. Okay, give us a log line. Go. A movie sound recordist accidentally records the evidence that proves that a car accident was actually murder and consequently finds himself in danger. Starring John Travolta, Nancy Allen, and John Lithgow again. And directed by none other than... The man, the myth, the legend. Brian De Palma. He also wrote it. <laughs> he has a he has a set group of people he likes working with, and I respect that. Don't they all? Isn't that funny? Yeah, I kind of like it though. I really like it too. I didn't notice that going into film when I was a kid, and then I remember that really hit me when I was in film school. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just studying all these guys, and they're working with literally four other guys. For like 35 years. Because you got to work with people that you trust with who you know are reliable. That you have a relationship with. Time is crucial on the film set. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when we're 60 and still making shit together, you're going to look at me and be like, God, we really met when we were 20 and then I've I hope never you don't get got sick rid of, of me. you. <laughs> I know. I'm more worried that I'm just going to annoy everybody after a certain level of my antics. He didn't though. De Palma was sticking with these people for a while. It is kind of sad that after i think like the mid 80s him and travolta didn't make too many more movies because i feel like after raising kane i don't know if he worked with travolta again but anyways we should say travolta or lithgow travolta because like once he hit the 90s de palma yeah travolta was in many of his movies unless yeah. i'm remembering well, Travolta kind of stopped doing movies for a little bit because he bombed right and then mm-hmm. he did pulp fiction yeah which was 94 i believe Anyways, Sounds right. It was before I was born. We should say, I have seen this movie, and Kate's. Has not. So it's just like Carrie's episode, but mm-hmm. reversed. And to do a little prediction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, okay, so I really like this movie. I think you're really going to like it, too. That's I, what I think. I mean, you may just be like, hell no, which I hope kind of, so we have something to argue about. But I well, really hey, like it. Don't underestimate me. I can always find something to argue about. It sounds interesting. I had never heard of it before until we decided to do this. Run. Really? Yeah. That's right, because I was like, oh, it's just like blow up. And you're like, huh? I don't know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> Another little piece of context for this movie. It's a loose, it's not an adaptation, but it's 
it takes its premise from Antonio Nese's Blow Up, which is a movie I personally do not like. Which I know is a cynicic, everybody always blows Blow Up, pun intended. But I really like this one because I think one of the reasons I'll say why I like it, I want to give the audience a little morsel before going into it. Um, and it's no surprise. Like, it's all to do with sound and, like, a sonic world. So they play with it in interesting ways in this movie. Like, the crux is that he's, I mean, the premise is that he, re- he records what he thinks is a murder. And it's kind of, like, noirish. Mm-hmm. And um, Blow Up is, like, the same premise, but it's a photo, right? Right. Yeah. It's a photographer, and he, like, thinks he, yeah. Well, even, like, the conversation with Coppola. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Very similar to this. Mm-hmm. I really like this movie. I really like Travolta in it. I don't know what else to say. What 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 do I think you're going to react to this one? You really liked Nancy and Travolta in the last one. Yes. I do really like Nancy Allen. She's great. She's very underrated. Definitely. Cuz she was fantastic in Carrie. And it's funny because, like, I I'd obviously seen Carrie a whole bunch before we talked about it last time, but I'd never really appreciated the performance that she gives in that. But mm-hmm. it's a phenomenal performance. So if that's any indication of what I'm going to get in this one, very excited. Have you seen Dress to Kill? God, I think so. But honestly, if you asked me anything about that movie, I don't think I could answer. Me and Liberty got in a big argument about that movie. We watched it together, like, probably a year ago. Hmm. We really got into it. That movie, especially now looking back, can be very... Because you know the whole premise of that movie, right? No. How do I... Maybe I haven't seen it. I There was a period of time in my life where I was just watching movies like all day, every day. And at some point, they all bled together. When so was that? Oh, in high school. Really? Yeah. It wasn't... I, I wouldn't say it was because I was in love with filmmaking. I'd say it's because I was not doing well and trying to come Girlie, <laughs> we've all been there sister yeah you give a child access to a netflix account and a bunch of other streaming services and you're just gonna find things and i think not netflix retain them. popping off right when we were coming of age was perfect for our mental health that's all we did everybody got depressed and watched new girl like three times back to back amen yeah. The amount of times that show in particular was just on the TV in our apartments in college. It was just How on. I Met Your Mother was really big when I was in high school, if you were like going through it. I think How I Met Your Mother was big when it was like actually premiering. Once it stopped premiering, it wasn't as big. Nobody really talked about it anymore. Well, which is how it ended. Yeah. But The Office, if you were going through it and you went to Huntington Beach High School, you were watching The Office. Why? I don't know. Nick Murtis still watches it. He has seen the entire series like five times. And you know what? Every time, like I have no, I'm never sitting around and going, I really want to watch The Office right now. But like when clips come up, it was funny. It was a good show. I just don't, I, it's, it's not a comfort watch for me. So I don't reach for it. Yeah. I prefer Curb Your Enthusiasm myself. (laughs) I know you do. Which I don't know how that's a comfort watch for you, but... I just like that awkwardness. I mean, I think it's fantastic. I don't hate Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, it's brilliantly just, written. It's so hard to watch for me. <laughs> I like to crunch. We have uh, our drinks. We do indeed. We have our movie. Mm-hmm. We said a little log line. Anything else you'd like to say? Predictions for your own reaction? <sighs> no predictions. I really don't know what to expect, but I'm going in optimistic. I hope I'm going to like it. 
It's another, this is another written and directed by Brian. Was the last one? No. No. Carrie was written by someone else. I think he probably had a hand in it, but I don't, he's not credited. But Raising Cain was written and directed by, this is written and directed by, and I believe our next one is also written and directed by. All right, we'll see how much of a difference that makes. We'll see how it goes. Roll the clip. Oh. All right. A little swallow action on the mic for you. We let that sit out a little too long. That was rough. All right. And we're live. You hated it. Why? Go. I did not hate it. I didn't hate it. Hate's a strong word for it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say in the immortal words of the internet meme gods. Yes. You had me in the first half. I'm not going to lie. And I would argue the first 80% of this movie. I get it. I see where it's going. I think it's fun. It's a little 80s take on a good old-fashioned, hard-boiled noir, okay? And then you get to the last 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. What happened there? You love that sequence. Yeah. Why? We should, okay. I got too excited because I took a shot of, what was that, bourbon? Yes. Yeah, okay. We should back up and give some context. So, for start, blowout. Upon seeing it for the second time, I get why you don't like it, but also you don't like it for the reason I always say about the Palma films, which is they're just campy. I think I think the very the you know the first eighty percent of this movie is set up in a way tonally that is different than the rest of his films because Travolta is many things, but he can't do even when he's like you know in Greece, he's not campy. He's playing everything straight. Nancy Allen's the same way as a performer. So I think that like, you know, you have all these performances that are played very straight. And tonally, the movie's played pretty straight. It's not like cheesy. It's not campy. But just the way it ends. I would argue that it's not played straight. It's definitely played like a noir. Like, yeah, but it, it feels grounded an, in a way. I Yeah, it feels right. grounded. But yeah. she's still very much a character. Mm-hmm. Like she's a dame from the wrong side of the tracks. I wouldn't say that she necessarily feels like a real person, and neither does he. He's a little bit too kind of manic and hyper fixated on this part of it. But they, the whole world that they're in, is grounded in enough reality that they feel grounded, which worked for me. I don't have, I don't have beef with any of that. So, what do you have beef with in particular? Like, what's the, what's the main rub? Just strictly the finale just the ending yeah which is funny because that is the flip exact opposite reaction i had to raising cane raising cane the first 90 percent of that movie i had no clue what was going on you was liked the ending of raising cane liked might be a strong word just because of the craftsmanship of yeah. it yeah that's fair i mean i think you know what's funny about this movie and again Throughout the series of De Palma films, I'm just going to be referencing the fucking documentary because it's so rad. But when he talks about the making of Blowout, he talks about the ending sequence where he's, Travolta, is going through the Liberty Day parade. 
and like obviously I, you know if you know movies or even if you don't know movie production like that's huge you have extras you are shutting down streets you're doing stunts you have these people and these these logistics to move and to shoot and you're going against the light of the day all that shit so they shoot it they get it in the can it looks really good and then somebody it was like a pa or like a i don't know like a gopher was like moving the kodak cans to like one truck to another and somebody jumped the truck and like stole the film oh, so <laughs> they told the palman obviously he was pissed and he had to go back to i think warner brothers whoever this movie i don't know the company that made this movie he had to tell them they had to reshoot so they did all like this one or two days of like stunts and like this big finale they had it in the can they're so happy and then like months later or something they had to like redo it and that's what's in the film Little little movie trivia for you all. And and this is one of the very, very miracle level rare instances where mm-hmm. I'm gonna say the studio should have shut that shit down and forced him to come up with another ending. This ending feels so completely at odds what with is the it rest about, of the tone of the movie. What is it about just the, it has the no tone? Purpose. It has no purpose. There is no reason that he needs to drive through this parade. He could have driven well, somewhere else. Yeah, he I mean... He chooses to drive directly into the parade. But that's all noir, right? I mean, all noir, in a sense, is just... It would be interesting to do a noir from a female's perspective. But anyways, I digress. I feel like it's been done. But rarely. It's, it's such a male-dominated... You have to, I mean, it's a male-dominated yeah. genre. Sure. But no, it's about like the paranoia of these male detective types that's typically what they are from brick to asphalt jungle to this so like i agree with you but also i think it goes with the purpose of paranoia i mean once you do i wrote down a lot of notes this one i did not have to write down because i love this the fucking circular shot which everybody talks about with blowout where they erase his tape and it's just that shot 360 degrees standing probably on a tripod operators moving it around and Travolta's just losing his mind. And then there's a before that moment and there's an after. And after it, it's like I feel in a way grounded, not necessarily in reality, but grounded in the sense of the movie because this guy's like mm-hmm. losing his shit. Yeah. I loved okay, to be fair, I didn't love that shot when it was happening, but yeah. that was because by that point in the movie, I was just a touch too drunk for that much spinning. <laughs> just a touch. And yes. it was a lot for me. But even as it was happening, I could appreciate it for what it was. And like now with a little distance from it, it's a very cool shot. Mm-hmm. And one thing I did write down during that sequence is that I feel like De Palma's whole style defined just as much by what you don't see as much as what you do, which I think is really interesting. We kind of talked about it at the beginning of the movie too with his split shots. He clearly loves his split shots. I think he used them in both Raising Kane and Carrie, but definitely Carrie. And I think they work really well. He he zeroes in on like a handful of things that he really wants you to pay attention to. And he doesn't show you anything else. And in that scene, you're only seeing glimpses of Travolta running in and around this chaos. And you're spinning almost as if, as if you're one of his tapes. Which I think is very cool. Which is why the ending threw me off so hard. Because you don't feel like you were grounded in the character's perspective. Everything up until that point had a purpose. 
And this is the longer we do the show. Give it to me. The yes. more people are going to get sick of me saying this. And I'm sure you've got to be sick of me saying it at Start this point. the catchphrase now. If it doesn't have a purpose, it doesn't belong in the movie. No, I agree with that. That is not a revolutionary concept. Right. But like... It, Everybody struggles with that. It, it, it is a pain point. It's a pain point for me and appears to be a pain point for many filmmakers. If you can't justify why it absolutely has to happen that way for the character, then it probably doesn't have to happen that way. And you should find the way that has to happen. And I don't... I didn't understand. You get to the end of this movie and they're clearly going for this... You think that they're going for this kind of emotional closing for... I think Jack. Jack. Yeah. Jack. I mean, it's a movie from the 70s. Everybody's main character is Jack or Jake. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's Jack. He, you know, he had... This movie's been out for 40 years, but here's your spoiler alert. He has his whole moment where he messes up when he's working with the undercover cop. And he gets the undercover cop killed. And you know that they're going for this big emotional push where he's going to try the same thing again. And it's going to work this time. He's going to save Sally. And I'm okay with that not happening. Having him not save her and deteriorate into this paranoid maniac. Fine. It's a noir. I can live with that. But why does he drive through the parade? How does it's that really even make sense? It's really just this parade that's really bothering you. Because it serves no purpose. The, the whole parade is built up this entire film. It's like this giant MacGuffin, except it's not a MacGuffin because he drives through it. But that's the only purpose that it serves. It does not do anything else. There's no reason. He doesn't know where they're going when they get into the train and disappear. Sally gets kidnapped by this psycho murderer played by John Lithgow. They disappear into a subway car. He doesn't know where they're going. He knows the general direction that the subway car is going in. Mm-hmm which is not the direction he drives off from the train station. And then he drives through a police barricade for no reason at all. And then goes against the flow of traffic in this parade for no reason at all. You're telling me they didn't have any open streets? This is kind of getting out of the weeds of the topic at hand, but I do want to... I kept thinking of this idea as we were watching this movie, which is the idea of realism versus escapism. And I don't know if it was, you know, our our conversation before uh, the movie about how we were about to in, enter a new age of cinema. I don't know. But there was this thing I was having where I was watching you watch the film. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm watching, you know, when you watch a movie for the second time, it's different than like the third or the fourth. Because when you're with somebody for the second time, you know it just well enough where, you kinda, I mean, obviously you know everything that happens. But you're like, oh God, you can't wait till you see this, you know. Like the third or the fourth time, you're you're kind of getting like the machinations of the script and the performances, and you're wa- you're watching the actors do like these little nuanced things and appreciating it more. Mm-hmm. But I have this thing where I feel like, you know, when you're watching something with your friend for the second time, you're just watching their reaction. All that to say, I was watching you watch the movie, and this thought hit me where escapism versus realism. I think the reason a lot of people our age see cinema differently than all of our generations before is because we're so used to realism on a screen because of social media because of snapchat so we have a lower tolerance for on the whole you don't you like camp but like me and like i think most of our friends campiness we're like oh fuck that you know i was like gen z Mm. or it's we're more like what makes a good performance to us 
isn't Marlon Brando screaming at the top of his lungs in Streetcar Named Desire. It's like Euphoria, where like that is heightened, but that is set in realism. So I think like with this movie, how that pertains to this is that a lot of this movie, the emotions are. I was you know making a case for how grounded it is, but you get to that car scene and it's so fucking. I don't even think it's pointless because I think it belongs in the world, but it's so it's almost out of left field because everything is kind of feasible and a car chase at that point does make sense. For sure. It's just he's going through. He's like it's just all of a sudden he's going through the middle of the street. But I want to say, okay. I bet my my point at large. I want to talk to you about. I bet none of that shit bothered like your mom or my mom if they saw it when they were our age because they weren't they they weren't engaging with media like we're engaging with media today we have a we have a higher bar set for film and the idea of entertainment it either needs to be motherfucking mcu movies which is like just so far out of reality or something that is as real as like a chloe jow movie like it just needs you know what i mean i don't know i don't i don't totally disagree with you Mm -hmm. i think that there's an element to what you're saying that is definitely true and i think we do demand more realism from even our fantasy performances today than we probably would have in the 80s. I also think you're holding the general populace to the same standard as our standards. And like, we're surrounded by film nerds all the time. We are not the general public. I we mean, just automatically hold things to a higher standard. But don't you see stuff with your friends where you're like, like when we, when you go on like a, I don't know, like a movie and a dinner date or like just like with friends or with like somebody you just met that you're into. I feel like every dinner date I've had after a movie was like, oh, that would never happen. Like that was always like, even like girls that I had dated, they that was like everything that they would say, even like they weren't even film nerds. Like the bar is set for realism. I don't know that that's realism though. I think that's just like core tenements of storytelling. Like I think... If, because yeah. we will believe anything if it makes sense in the world you've created. I think the difference is we are in an era of film where everything is in a world. Yeah, it's all about world building. Yeah, we require that. There needs to be an element of a world that we can believe in and buy into. And when there isn't, we crucify it. On a big scale, small scale, it doesn't matter. I don't think that was quite as true in the 70s or 80s. Not in the same sense. Yeah. Because you didn't, you weren't creating films to be franchises. You weren't creating films to have a trilogy run. Like that was significantly more unusual. And so you only had to buy into the world of one movie. And that could be a little looser and a little more ridiculous and that was fine. And I don't have a problem with the ridiculousness. I feel like I've already said it six times in our very short conversation so far, but my problem is it's just a whiplash tonally. To me, it doesn't blend or match at all. And I, and, and there's just no justification for it. To me, it feels like De Palma had the image, Jack in the crowd racing towards Sally while she's on this balcony. And he was like, how can I make that? That to me felt like the most fleshed out image of that entire sequence which I still thought was cheesy and predictable, but that's not the point. I can live with cheesy and predictable. It's a noir film. Nothing else around that moment makes sense to me. And then you get to the end, like the end end, Mm -hmm. where he's using her shot, her scream in the horror movie 
to round out this subplot, which I love. Give me a good round out subplot. Give me a good callback. You like a nice, a nice little payoff. I you do. like a nice payoff. I do. Chekhov's gun, baby. Yes. Why is it there if you're not going to do something with it? I get it. Okay. Maybe a little predictable. But then it just cuts. I would have nicked that entire chase scene. Give me a little, just, just a half a minute longer of that. But then it just cuts to black and that's it. And I'm like, oh, okay. What was the point? Question for you. Mm-hmm. Let's let's go from the micro to the macro. Let's talk about for cinema. Sure. God. <laughs> Would you, mm-hmm. Kate Napoli, indeed, have liked to make movies back then? <sighs> Very complicated question. Give In an idealized me. world where I am a woman and treated well? No, just no. <laughs> I'm I'm saying just like all the I... all the pros, all the cons, all the horrors, no. all the best parts about being in 1981 or the late 70s no No, you wouldn't want to talk about it (laughs) i mean what is there to say i just think would have been a hell of a lot more fighting i why i don't need to go back isn't that funny i think i mean i know you're gonna say well that's only a guy conversation but i will say even the women are saying what i'm about to say a lot of people we know that love movies love making movies would prefer to be making them back then. That makes I don't no. Think that's f- true. I know a lot of people, and that makes excuse my French makes no motherfucking sense to me. That makes no sense to me. I don't know how true that is. Well, you might be right, but I think we all understand to a certain degree that it is simultaneously more expensive now to do what we want to do than it's ever been. It's also more well, accessible now. Yeah, I mean, it, it's. Like, to make things yourself is so much more accessible. To get into the hundreds of millions of dollar style movies, much harder. Well, the world got bigger, and it also got smaller. And by that, I mean, like, mm -hmm. you know, since then, blockbusters and IP and sequels rule the market, and studios are making more and more movies. However, it got smaller in the sense that studios are making only one type of movie and are producing smaller movies a smaller number of movies and putting them out but since the equipment is so accessible like you said there's more independent film and we have social media and we can know people from other countries and we can connect with people that we will never meet in real life and all that stuff and people that i mean i'm talking from a guy's perspective you know lgbtq people people of color people of different ethnicities backgrounds it's still a rich man's game filmmaking but for people that are middle class or lower class they have actually they actually have a shot now to make something yeah the barrier to entry is much smaller connection is more available and i just kept thinking about all this there's a moment when he's syncing up you know physically syncing sound to picture and i just like elbowed kate and i was like would you have loved to make a movie back then she was like yeah and i'm like fuck that i would hate to do that shit i'd love to edit so i'd hate to do if we're talking about that. the physicals here's a, a, do i want to do that no but if you gave me the like gun to my head you have to manually cut film mm-hmm. or you have to like open premiere pro right now i'm i'm manually why? cutting film why it's more fun well i i hate it when shit gets in my way i want to focus on the story and I feel like editing on like a steam back would be just so. I mean, I remember going to the Coppola. Remember how they had those old like steam back? Yes. Like underneath the stairs. Mm-hmm. I remember looking at that fucking thing, probably going to see some movie I was going to fall asleep to. Anyways, not <laughs> movie theater. And I remember just looking at that and I'm like, thank God I don't have to touch that. 
which I know is like I'm gonna burn in the hell of cinema for saying all that stuff, but I don't know. Just you know, this movie is so good at like I don't think it was it was meaning to, but this movie is very good at glamorizing that process. Now, to be fair, I've never done it, so I'm speaking highly from hypothetical points of view here. Lugging around all that film, having to change reels. Yeah. That, to me, seems like a logistical nightmare. And I'm glad we don't have to do it. I'm glad that we have to worry about, like, batteries and SD cards. Because you can plan ahead on all of that. And I'm sure you planned ahead on film. I just feel like it would have been harder and a lot more volatile. God, and I, you know, I don't like movies (laughs) that are about movies. I really don't. You don't. I, I don't. I was surprised when we started watching this movie and I was like, this is... Well, there's something about Blowout that feels different than any other De Palma movie. I would agree. Yeah, for sure. it, it's not because it's he doesn't really do noir shit, and it's so it's such a specific sect of his tone, like of the reach he takes tonally. You know, I think so many directors. I think I think what directors ultimately have is control of is tone and like that's a lot of the job just in my you know my wide experience sarcastically saying that you can pick up and i think there's something in all his films that i just can't just being honestly i love his movies but there's something about his movies totally that just always throws me off but then he'll make movies like this or casualties of war and it's just so you feel within the psychology of the character. And that may be a performance thing. That may just be, I don't know. I don't really know. No, I I think you could argue that for maybe some of his other movies. I think with this, it's definitely a combination of performance and directing. Because so much of it has to do with the way the camera is used in this. It is well written too. Yeah. I, yeah. I talked a little bit of smack in Raising Kane. I'm going to... Smack just a touch. Give a little smack. Just a little. A little, little smack, a little rip. A little love little tap. Riff. The ending of this movie kind of proves the point I was making in Raising Kane, where his ability to write and his ability to direct do not always meet and are sometimes at odds with each other. Because I think for the first 90% of this movie, they're working together. The way he wrote it and the way he shot it works well together. And then you get to the end and I'm like, ah, this is that phenomenon again. Where what he wrote mm-hmm. doesn't match what he wants to do visually. Interesting. And there he chose to sacrifice the writing for what he wanted to do visually. And I, Which is a common, I mean, to be fair, is a common problem of many directors. I think very few people can be writers and directors no i mean like directors the problem is they'll sacrifice writing before they sacrifice the visuals and i think it's the wrong choice every single time i think you'll get this (laughs) i tell this to people i always serve the writing before i serve the visuals it's like actors writing visuals which i feel like every director i've ever seen that's like really big especially in that era it was just shot shot selection, shot size, shot type, like all they were thinking about was their shots. And in some movies, and even in like some of the really good movies, you can still see like sections of that. Like it's just, oh, the fucking visual language of it, which is amazing. What people give a shit about is how good is that scene? 
and how grounded is that performance? Because really audiences don't, I'm, you're servicing filmmakers when you're making it all about the shots. Because really audiences don't notice the, Tristan Harris will love me saying this, they don't notice the music, they don't notice the visual language, they're noticing the performance and the writing, right? Yeah. That is my argument at least. I, I don't disagree with that argument. I think you need all of those elements to create. Sure, yes, but there's a priority project. list, sure. in my opinion. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. I think that's what it's all about. Yeah, I think I I wholeheartedly agree. I would go one step further and say that what it's really about, and what the and this is not revolutionary. I want to make that very clear to everybody listening. I'm not saying this as if I'm the first person to ever say this. The core of filmmaking is storytelling. That's all it is. So if you're not telling a story, and if what you're spending time on does not further your story, bring it to a new level, grounded in reality, whatever the goal is of the story, if the choices you're making don't serve that, mm -hmm. you're making the wrong choices. And I find that so frustrating, especially with guys like De Palma, who are these huge figures in the film world. If, you're, if you know, then you know. That it, it was still something that, I don't know, I don't even know that it was hard for him. Because I think he's so good that everything he did was intentional. I just don't agree with the choices a lot of the time. I don't think it was like... He was a guy that had a very specific tone. Yeah, but I can't figure out what I it was. I <laughs> think that's why, again, back to my argument about shifting audience perceptions as we get older and generations come. I think that's why a lot of his films post Mission Impossible in the 90s like don't work like for most audiences most they're mostly duds but the guy hasn't changed i mean directors only in my opinion directors only typically get better as they get older it's like any profession yeah. but a lot of his yeah. films just don't you don't hear about the palm today but he still makes movies hey napoli what would you give this movie oh god we didn't do stars let's um, conclude it with i i would give it a solid three okay it's a solid three. I believe I gave it the four the first time I saw it. I would stay. I would say five. Kidding. Uh, <laughs> three and a half or four. Yeah. Okay. I like it, man. If dude, fucking Travolta. We didn't even talk about him on this episode. I, we'll talk about him. Here's I'm a quick sure. Plug. The show We've got goes a lot on. of dead air on this thing. Yeah. Let's quick plug him. John Travolta. John Travolta. What a fucking man. I mean, yeah. I'm not a big Travolta guy personally. But there is something about him in this movie. I mean, obviously, like, he's an amazing actor. I'm just saying, like, personally, he's not, like, a performer. I, like, go, oh, my God, John Travolta. Like, I go and see all of his films. But this is one where he is just firing on all cylinders. Yeah. I mean, I generally like Travolta in mm -hmm. most movies. I can't think. There's no, like, standout performance that I can think of that I didn't like. I think one of my favorite things about him is just the sheer range that he has. And how much fun he seems to have doing all of these films. Because even though this isn't really a fun film or a fun role for him, you can still tell that there's like that excitement behind everything that he does. For sure. Like he was excited to be on set, which I think is cool. It's fun when you can feel that through an actor and have it not break the illusion for you. Yeah, like, like we say with all art. I was just having this conversation with Ali yesterday about Marvel directors. Our friend... Um, Allie Pateros, you can find her at Luna Talks on most social media. Good old Pally Adderos. <laughs> uh, we were talking about just MCU movies as a whole, and we were just basically having this conversation about, you know, the difference between Marvel movies 
you know, phases one through three or four, whatever they are, really are the directors. Like, you can tell the directors that give a shit and the directors that don't. I feel like you can always tell that. Yeah, of course. You know what I mean? And I think going back to Travolta, you can tell, especially in the 70s and the 80s, and the I mean, he's he's always an actor. It doesn't matter. Yeah. He's an actor that gives a shit. Like, he's always going to swing. He's kind of like Nick Cage in a way that, like, even when you're like people are laughing at him, he's fucking going for it, you know? And I really like that. Yeah. I think that's just so, like, undervalued as a performer. And just little fun fact, I think the first movie, obviously, that I remember seeing him in was Grease because I was a musical theater kid. The second and, in my opinion, more iconic role that I remember seeing him in was Hairspray as Tracy Turnblad's mother. Yeah. Did a great job. He went for it. Yeah. That was funny. That's also for me, too. That yeah. movie, yeah. with That would have been right when we were, like, that was perfect becoming age. conscious of films. That yeah. was a motherfucking... John Waters was indoctrinating us at a young age, and I loved it. Oh. I loved every part of it. <laughs> the OG hairspray is a trip, but that's a conversation for another yeah. day. Yeah. You are John Waters in another life. I'll take that. I'm not quite sure what you mean by it, but why not? Tune in um, next time to hear exactly well, what I mean about that. <laughs> speaking of John Waters. Yeah. We're receiving a phone oh, call. Oh, yeah. Pick up that phone. Here we go. Hey, uh, listen, uh, Blake and Kate, uh, this is Lil Mo from Lil Mozzarella's Pizzeria in Deep Brooklyn. Uh, hey, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, I, I watch uh, John Travolta movies blowout, but, uh, you know, the, 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 the action was great. It had the bing, bang, wing, wang, all that. But, uh, you know, at the title, all I could think about is, uh, you know, blow out this, blow out that. Well, who's going to blow me off? Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review. It goes a long way towards getting us out there. You can find us on Spotify and soon-to-be Apple Podcasts. Next week, we'll be getting drunk and talking about sisters. 